<clears throat> really happy to be uh, with you guys today. Um, I feel like there's not a whole lot of pressure for me to do well today as long as I just don't knock over this table. Uh, if I just don't do that, I'll do better than Luke did last week. Uh, so if I just don't focus on anything else, it'll be good. Um, let me go ahead and pray this morning for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, through your coming, have purchased peace for us with God. Let us live into that this morning. Jesus, uh, I pray that you would uh, fill me with your spirit as we uh, go through this sermon, and uh, I pray that you would give us all um, your spirit and and, uh, soft hearts to be able to receive the word that you want to share with us today. And God, give us grace uh, to live into it and be changed. Lord, we love you. We invite you in, especially in this time. Amen. Uh, I think it is, um, I think obviously you could debate this, but um, I think most people would agree, uh, even the most staunch atheists would have to come to um, the conclusion that Jesus is the most famous person who ever lived, uh, the most famous man who ever lived. Um, you just can't deny it. We built, we built our calendar around him. Um, you know, half of the world, uh, or, you know, billions of people follow him throughout history, and, you know, just his imprint on the world is just undeniable. Um, so I think that it's, it's just Jesus is the most famous, pers- famous man who ever lived. Um, today I want to focus on um, somebody who is arguably the most famous woman who ever lived, um, and that would be the mother of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Virgin Mary this morning. Um, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Let me go there. <clears throat> uh, we're going to be starting in verse 26. Um, <clears throat> It says that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Um, before we get to talking too much about uh, what happened to Mary, which is what I really want to focus on today, I want to take just a second and ask you this question. Um, have you ever stopped and wondered why God chose Mary? This is a pretty big deal. Mary is being chosen to give birth to the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Uh, she is, uh, I'm going to stop, I'm going to try to stop saying the word debatably. I guess everything, just, just take for granted that everything I'm going to say is debatable. Uh, most of y'all are like, I didn't need you to tell me that. Uh, but this is, uh, probably the most important thing that happens in the Bible um, is Jesus being born into the world. And he chooses this young um, Israelite teenage girl to be the mother of God. And have you ever stopped and wondered, like, why, why did he choose this girl? 
maybe you haven't thought about it. I haven't thought about it a whole lot before uh, I preached this sermon, uh, before I was writing the sermon, but uh, you know who has thought about it a lot? Our Catholic brothers and sisters. They have put a lot of thought into why God chose the Virgin Mary, okay? Uh, and they will say, they will say this. Uh, there is something called, um, it's, it's this theological idea called, what is it? there's confetti going on on the screen right now. That's going to really bother my ADD. Um, <clears throat> um, don't know if it's going to stop. <laughs> okay, I'm going to really try to dial it. Hopefully you guys can do a better job than I can. Um, so, uh, there's this thing called the Immaculate Conception. Uh, it's, a, it's a Catholic theological idea that says that Mary, not Jesus, well, Jesus too, but specifically Mary was sinless from her conception. The Catholics say that Mary never sinned her entire life, from her birth to her death. She had never sinned. Um, and I'm, I'm going to get up here and just say right now off the get-go, um, I love Catholics, and I fully believe that we're going to be worshiping arm-in-arm uh, arm with them um, in heaven one day. Um, and I got my sweet Gam-Gam is Catholic, and she's a wonderful lady who loves Jesus. And um, so just hear me. I'm, not, I'm, I'm usually the guy who's trying to find common ground with Catholics before I try to divide. But this is something that's, I think, really important, and this is a place where we divide from them. And that's we don't believe that Mary was sinless her entire life, uh, primarily because the Bible doesn't say that, um, and it's okay. Some things can be true even though the Bible doesn't say it, but that's such a big thing that we feel like the Bible would have mentioned it somewhere. But here is, uh, is another reason why it's important, not just because the Bible doesn't say it, but I think it says something wrong about God. And specifically, I think it comes from the way that, that Catholics, unfortunately, view their relationship with God. Catholics, on this, on this scale of, you got, of Christianity, you have people who believe that we're saved by faith alone. Then you got people over here who are totally legalistic and think it's all about what you do and your works are how you get saved. And so there's almost like this spectrum. Uh, Protestants, we believe that we're saved by faith, not by works. Catholics are somewhere here more in the middle, that there is, faith is important and what Jesus did is important, but uh, what you do really has a lot to do with whether or not you're saved. And I think that this idea of God and how we relate to God and how a person can be saved has crept, crept its way into thinking about who Mary was. And I think it's that idea that made the Catholics look at Mary and said, she must have done something special to earn this magnificent title of Mother of God. Why was she picked above any other teenage, teenage Israelite girl? And they would say, well, she must have been less sinful, or she must have been uh, more devoted, or she m there must have been something special about her that God would pick her instead of some other person. And we say, that does not have to be true. Because we say that God chose Mary out of the same reason that he chose each and every person in this room, out of grace. God comes to Mary, and he doesn't say, good job, Mary! Because you have been such a good teenage girl, you haven't cussed or smoked or said anything mean to your parents, you've been a very obedient child, you are going to be the mother of God. Instead, he comes to her. I'm going to just read it instead of maybe saying it wrong. He says, <clears throat> Greetings, you who are highly 
favored. The Lord is with you. Here's the thing about favor, the favor of God. Favor of God isn't something that's earned. God gives his favor out of grace, and he chooses who he pleases for these kind of things. But Mary did not earn, she did not do anything to become or merit being the mother of God. God chose her out of grace, out of his pleasure, out of his favor. And this is really encouraging to me, because this is how God chooses every— if, you, if you're a person in here, you have been, and you have come to believe in Jesus, and you've given your life to him, the Bible calls you elect, chosen by God. God has chosen you, and he has chosen you for the same reasons that he chose Mary, not because you were awesome, not because you had a lot to offer, not because you had a lot of potential, certainly not because you were sinless. God chose you because he loves you, and that is liberating. Because if he did choose Mary because of something that she did, maybe something that she did wrong could make her lose that job. Or maybe if we were chosen by God to be his children because we did something right, that means that there's probably something that we could do wrong that would make us not his children or make him not choose us or make him reject us. And that is not the gospel. That is not grace. We come into a relationship with God by faith in his grace. Every person here, your relationship with God is built on the same bedrock that all of ours are, and that is that the Lord is gracious, the Lord is compassionate, the Lord is patient. He's overflowing with love and faithfulness. You are here because God is generous. You're in the kingdom because he's merciful, because he had pity on you. You're still here today after everything you've done since you got baptized because he's patient. Not because you confessed enough or you did the right thing or you repented right. We're all here because of grace. We're all here because God is totally generous and over, so the Bible says overflowing with loyal love. That's why God chose Mary. That's why God chose you. So that's the why God chose Mary, but Mary has a really, really good question um, after the angel is done speaking to her. If you look at verse 31, this is what the angel promised. He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asks a very good question. She said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary says, hey, uh, that's impossible because um, the one thing required for having kids I have not done. <laughs> and uh, it's, a good, it's a good question. How can Mary give birth to a son, much less the son of God? You know, by definition, uh, uh, I'm not going to 
give the definition, but in the definition of a virgin is somebody who has not done something. It's really just somebody who didn't do a thing. That's, that's what it is. And if you go on and you think about Mary through this whole process, she doesn't really do anything. This person who was chosen to do one of the most important things in all of salvation history, give birth to the Son of God, she doesn't really do anything. You can make an argument, first she gave birth, but uh, I hear that's like not that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> but other than that, that's, that's pretty hard, but other than that, she doesn't do anything in this story. All that Mary does is she believes the word that the angel said to her. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me as you have spoken. And then she waits while she creates a home for God within herself. And I think that there's something really profound for us to learn from her example. See, um, Whenever we, we come to Christ, whenever we receive this great salvation, there is obviously, um, there should be in a, res, a response inside of us that we want to go and do something for God. And in fact, the Bible says that God created beforehand good works for us to do. And so uh, don't hear me, uh, what I'm about to say, this is kind of the disclaimer, uh, don't hear what I'm about to say and say, as saying that we're not supposed to work for God, okay? But there is an order and a priority before we just get into the work that God has for us to do. I think Mary in this Advent season is, the, is a perfect representation of what it means and what we're supposed to do before we get to work for God. You see, Mary, she didn't do anything but simply make a home for herself inside of God. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever, ever done this before, but the reason, or if you've ever thought about this before, but the reason, well, let me just show you this verse. This verse is good. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to take this out of context, so just please trust me. I promise it's not like super out there, but Mary is our example in the ceasing from work as Christians. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 says this, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. And what this is talking about, it's talking about in the, con in the, in the, uh, in the context of people who are coming to God and uh, who are resting from this idea that what I do is going to get me saved. If I complete, the, if I fulfill the law, if I do all these things right, then God will accept me and I'll be saved. What the author of Hebrews is here saying is you actually have to lay down those works if you're going to come to Jesus. What he's saying is Whenever you're saved, if you come into this Sabbath rest, this salvation of God, you actually have to cease your work. You have to stop and say, I, I am accepted and I am here because of the work of someone else. I am here because of the work of Jesus and I am laying down my work. Okay? I don't know if you guys have ever uh, experienced this. I experienced this a long time ago. It seems like a distant memory because I have two kids now. But um, do you guys ever have like Saturday? Our cleaning day was Saturday most of the time. And uh, we would have this list of things to do. You know, you got to go wash the car and do the dishes and do the laundry and uh, vacuum and mop the floor and all that stuff. 
and uh, the house is a disaster when it starts, but you start knocking things off the list, and then whenever you get to the end of the list, and after hours, and you look at your list, and you've knocked, every, you've knocked everything out, and you look around, and everything's done, I don't know what you guys do, but I always do the same thing once we reach that point. I plop. I plop on the couch, and I just look around, and I just take it in. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I haven't, that, I haven't had that experience in a couple years because just the list never is done uh, whenever you have kids. Uh, but it's an amazing feeling to plop and to sit down and cease your work and look around and look and appreciate what's been done. Appreciate the completeness of the work. And this is what that's talking about. The reason that there's a ceasing of work whenever we come to Jesus is because of tetelestai. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, as he was taking his final breath, it is finished. The work for your salvation has been completed already by someone else. And I think that not, I think that tragically, a lot of Christians, uh, we get saved, or maybe, maybe we've done this before, but after a while, uh, we, we don't take time to plop. We don't take time to sit back and sit down and look at all that has been accomplished for us by Jesus. To sit around and appreciate that, oh, there is nothing for me to do here. Jesus has completed everything. Jesus, by his own work, has washed my sins away. Jesus, by his work, has made me a son of God. I, God looks on me with love, and God accepts me, and I have peace with God, this peace that we're talking about this morning, because Jesus finished the work. So there's something beautiful about Mary, because I think she kind of, kind of helps us envision what this looks like to be somebody who is just being still, and they're not doing anything, and God is doing all the work. Now, I, I said that Mary's not doing any work, but that doesn't mean that she's not doing anything. Um, <clears throat> See, uh, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and when she goes to Elizabeth, she shows up, and it's kind of this wild scene. I really can't even really picture what it's like, but essentially it's, you know, it says, when Mary greeted Elizabeth, it says that, uh, John the Baptist, who was in Elizabeth's belly, started, uh, started leaping for joy, she said, and, uh, at the sound of your voice. And then Elizabeth breaks out and she, sa is just, she said, who am I that, this, that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? And, and she said, blessed is she who has believed the word that God has spoken. She probably said it a little bit more dynamically than that, but uh, I'm trying to sit here and remember what she said. But she gets all excited and there's this outburst and uh, it's this really... Um, cool experience that's going on, but then here's what Mary does. Mary worships. It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Mary's not doing any work, but she is doing this. Mary worships. I think this, I think the reason that maybe we're supposed to cease from our work is so that maybe before work would come worship. It's interesting, this is not the only Mary uh, where this happens. Uh, it, it seems like, I was just thinking about this while I was reading uh, this passage and thinking about Mary. Um, it looks like almost anywhere you go in the New Testament where you will find uh, a Mary who is not doing anything but worshiping. You think about uh, Mary here, you know, I've talked about how she's not really doing anything but carrying this baby, Jesus, inside of her. But you think about uh, this, this situation with Mary and Martha. Uh, Jesus went over to a lady's house uh, named Martha, and she was preparing him a meal. I'm just going to flip over to it, and I'll read you this story just real quick. Um, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had to make. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. He says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I gotta say, uh, I don't think that there could be many things that would, uh, you could do spending your time uh, more wisely than serving Jesus in the flesh in front of you. But apparently Jesus thought that there was one, and that was sitting at his feet sitting in his presence, listening to him, enjoying him. Jesus said that this was more important. Mary's attention was more important than Martha's service. Do you know that Jesus cares more about your heart than your hands? He cares more about your praise than what you can do for him, the things that you can produce for him. See, we were created to work. We are God's servants. We're called that a lot in the Bible. But before you're a servant of God, you are a worshiper of God. Worship should come first. Worship is what God wants for us, from us more than anything. But a lot of times, you're gonna, what's funny is you get misunderstood. And I think a lot of people misunderstand. I think these stories are just uh, really telling of how sadly a lot of religious people think is that she should get up and help me. She needs to get up and do something. 
If you go and you look at another, there's one more story that I thought of with another Mary who's wasting her time worshiping Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the table, you remember, in Simon's house, and Mary busts through the door, and she comes in, and she pours out oil all over Jesus' feet, this very expensive jar of perfume, and she starts weeping, and she starts cleaning his feet with her hair. And what do they say? They say, this is a waste. This could, this this perfume could have been used, it could have sold it for a lot of money, we could have given it to the poor. You know what they're saying? We could have put this perfume to work. We, we should be, she should be doing something with this. But again, Jesus corrects them and says, no, she chose the better thing. She said, you'll, have the, you'll always have the poor. You won't always have me. Again and again, We're seeing that Jesus wants our attention. He wants our adoration. He wants our heart. He wants our affection before he wants the service that we can bring to him, before the things that we can do for him. I don't don't think that worship and the work that we do for God have to be at odds, but I think that sometimes when we just get caught up in the things that we're doing for God, we can go from being a worshiper primarily to being this like little ball of stressed out Christian activity. And whenever that happens, I think that it's time to become, forgive the analogy, but to become a virgin again. To step back and become the person who's not doing anything and just simply focused on Jesus and focused on getting that main thing, the first thing, back to being the first thing, and that is loving God. I'm going to steal this from Luke. Um, It's one of the good things that he said um, when he's preached sermons, and uh, whenever they go up to Jesus, and I was just reading this the other day, um, whenever they go up to Jesus, one of the um, Pharisees, he says, What's, what's the most important command? And Jesus says, love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. I don't think he's trying to parse out all the different ways that you're supposed to love God. Even the word for uh, love him with all of your uh, strength. This doesn't really talking about the physical. It's just the word means muchness. He says, love God a lot. Love God with everything that you are. But what's sad is whenever we preach on this, we, uh, most of the time, 98% of the sermons that I've heard, including probably my own, is we go, all right, he said the first commandment is love God. Great. The second command is love your neighbor as yourself. And then we say, and really the way that you can tell that you love God is if you love your neighbor. And so here are 10 ways to love your neighbor. And we just like spend 45 minutes on this second command, which the second command is great. But you can't spend 45 minutes on the second command and spend 30 seconds on the first command. That's what Jesus called, uh, well, no, that's probably too far to say, I won't say that, but we're missing the point, the main point. We're missing the first thing, and that is loving God. God wants your heart. He wants your affection. He wants all of your attention. You know, um, I'm a pastor, and I work here at this church, and I 
am involved in, you know, programs and stuff like that. And so um, what I'm not saying is uh, please stop volunteering here uh, <laughs> or working here at this church because that would be a lot more work for me. Uh, and maybe that would mean that Luke would have to sing more, and so that wouldn't be good either. Um, but what I am saying is, where is your work coming from? And has your work replaced your worship at all? Have you forgot why you're working for Jesus? If you're working because you're obligated if you're working because you know it's what you're supposed to do, if you're working because you've just been doing it so long that you're just still going to do it and you don't want to disappoint somebody, it's time to come back and sit down in front of Jesus and maybe cease your work and remember who you're working for and fall in love with him again. Give him your attention. Give him your affection. Come and be still and say, if I don't get anything else accomplished, being here is enough with you. Maritza just turned uh, 30 um, on Tuesday. Yeah, she's old. <clears throat> I'm not 30. <clears throat> um, and she went to... Um, to go to a, um, just a, a prayer service at uh, another church down the road from here that has prayer services. And um, she went there, and, you know, um, I don't know, for those of you guys who have turned 30, but I can just, I know that, I mean, I know this is somebody who is approaching 30. Um, 30 is like that thing that you look at, you just look at your, it just, it's just like a giant, like, ugly funhouse mirror <laughs> where you look at yourself and you just, just see everything that you haven't done. <laughs> Are all the things that you haven't accomplished. Um, and just some of that stuff Maritza shared. Uh, she said that I could share this with you, but um, she was kind of going into that worship service with those thoughts of um, specifically, you know, God, I wish that at this, I thought that at this point in my life I would have maybe done more for you. Uh, <clears throat> maybe accomplished more for you. Um, and she was in there and doing worship and uh, just praying and stuff like that. And um, one of the guys from the stage, um, it was either during his prayer or, or um, just at some point in the service, he stopped and he said, uh, among other things, but this is the thing that stuck out, was success is knowing God. If you don't accomplish anything in your life but knowing him, really knowing him, and having a relationship with him, and living a life sitting down in front of him before his feet in worship and delighting in him, but you didn't win a single person to Christ, or you didn't start some kind of super special ministry, or fill in the gap of all these awesome things that we can do for Jesus, your life would have been a wild success. Because God, what he wants more than anything we can do for him is simply you. He died not for what you could do for him, 
but simply so that he could have you. trying to think about whether or not I want to share this last part, and so I, I think I am going to actually, I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, here's the really cool part, is Mary, walk, Mary is speaking to this angel, and she says, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. And fair question, right? We talked, Mary, her part was not really doing much of anything, but waiting and worshiping. But here's what happens when you wait and worship. You open up the door for God to do what he's going to do. This is what the angel said. She said, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered with these very simple but powerful words. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And he said some more things, but this, this is what makes it. This is the secret sauce. Okay. This is how God works. It's good to work for Jesus. And I don't fault anybody who's out there really trying to do a lot for Jesus. But I have been in a place where I really tried to do a lot for Jesus. I really tried to tell a lot of people about Jesus. I really tried to do, host a good Bible study and bring people in. And, you know, just, or, yeah, I've done a lot of things. I've been a youth pastor and just, you know, trying to do a lot of things for Jesus. And I, t- I can tell you, I can tell the difference between trying to do something for God on my own and trying to do something for God with God's help, specifically with the Holy Spirit. What's wild is Jesus, all, all that Mary was supposed to do is to wait and to worship and make a temple for God to dwell inside of her. And out from that was going to come the most beautiful thing that God, one of the most beautiful things God has ever done, and that was bring Jesus into the world. And what happens is the Holy Spirit... <laughs> We need the Holy Spirit's help for anything we're going to do for him. And you say, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit's help? That sounds really nice. I'd love to do that. It's by waiting, and it's by worshiping. You know the biggest time that the Holy Spirit ever shows up in the Bible? It's after Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm sure the disciples were excited. I'm sure they were like, yo, we were right. Not we were right. They didn't believe, but they were like, Jesus was right. He, He rose from the dead. Let's go out and tell everybody. I'm sure at least Peter was kind of like that, just because he was kind of wild like that. But I'm sure they were raring to go. But Jesus said, you need to wait. Because all of your excitement and all of your devotion, it is not going to amount to much of anything. He said, you wait. And then the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And then you're going to go be my witnesses. But you know what they were doing in the meantime? They were waiting. And they were worshiping. It's this weird backwards way of the things that, wor- the way things work with God is it's not who's going, it, people who are doing the most for God are not the people who are doing the most for God. It'll make sense maybe later. It's the people 
who are waiting on God. It's not like this, this, this math equation where one plus one equals two. It's just the weird God math where these people are out and going doing all the work, but they're not producing near as much fruit as the people who are waiting on God and waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see in Mary's life. <clears throat> I want to just take a minute, if you would, with me um, to be still. Um, I just want to be silent for a moment uh, and ask God to come and get our attention again, whatever that means. That we could be worshipers, that we could be waiters. so that he can do what he wants with us. Jesus, we ask that you would just have all of our attention again in this Christmas time. Father, where we, whether we literally do this or whether you're just grabbing our hearts again spiritually, I pray that you would help us to cease from our work. And simply focus on making our hearts a home for you again. Have all of our work, have all of our service, have all of our worship, have all of our attention because you are worth it. We love you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.